Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. Not as upbeat as we were last week. Horn Frogs lose in Stillwater to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, 34 to 27. This game was a whole lot of angst, some moments where it could have been. There were multiple turning points in this game where you say, man, if it just went a different way, one time, two times, the Frogs walk away with a victory. But the Pokes got out to a big lead, and the Frogs were crawling back, crawling back the whole time, and they just couldn't get the victory. We're going to talk about this loss, what went on off on the field, and all the impact that that is going to have off the field as the Frogs are in the home stretch of the 2019 season. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy and Daniel, oh, that deep breath, that deep sigh you hear is the pain of my soul as a blatant homer. Frogs do not win this game. So many turning points where the Frogs could have had it, but just give me a sentence or two from each of you all about what is your summary of what went wrong in this game. We're going to look at a whole bunch of things, and we'll get, we'll do a deep dive in all of them. But, Daniel, let me start with you. What, what went wrong in this game? Everything. Burn it down. I'm done. Beat Baylor. I appreciate your uh, uh, way to stay committed to my request for a sentence or two. Jeremy, what 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 broke in this game? What didn't go right? Offense couldn't move the ball consistently. Turnovers couldn't stop Chuba Hubbard, and um, couldn't stop big plays. I mean, that it just everything that could have gone wrong on offense and defense went wrong. Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. The Frogs gave up big plays. They turned the ball over. Hey, you turn the ball over four times. Guess what? It's really hard to win the game. Frogs just could not get a stop when they needed it, and then they could not get a touchdown when they needed it. There were some high points. There were some great moments. Love seeing Max be able to air the ball out. Pro Wells, Jalen Rager, Tay Barber, they all had strong games. But that being said, I've got I've got written down here four, four turning points where if they could have just made one change in this – Things could have been different. And then I got a mind-blowing stat from Brian Estridge I'll share here after we talk through this. You wrote an article about this, Jeremy, so let me give you my thoughts, and then you kind of give me a rebuttal and your reflection on this. Obviously, Chuba, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard going 92 yards, basically untouched for a touchdown. The Frogs had him pinned back at the eight. Hubbard goes for 92 yards. Canadian bacon burns us. Dylan Stoner standing wide open for a 57-yard touchdown pass and blown coverage. The one that I think changed the whole game, John Stevens Jr. fumble when the Frogs come out, out of the gate, ready to drive the ball. They're moving it. Things are hopping. The offense is moving fast, and John Stevens Jr. fumbles the ball. And then Max's uh, interception in the fourth. He has an, the, the Frogs pick off uh, Spencer Sanders, and then, the, then Max comes back right away on the second play and throws an interception when they, they had an opportunity to really change that game. So many chances given to him that they did not follow through on. And when the Pokes had an opportunity, they made the most of it, and Frogs continue to only have one win in Stillwater after uh, all these years since joining the Big 12. Jeremy, what are your thoughts on those uh, turning points that could have made a difference in the game, and what else do you have to add to them? Let's start with that Hubbard run of 92 yards. Yeah, that I still haven't watched the replay of the game because after hearing all the stuff about ESPN and all the jumbled-up channel, I, I really haven't bothered to watch it, and really I didn't want to watch it yet. Um, I saw on the board people were posting that someone was held or Garrett Wallow got tackled, something like that, but – I mean that was a big that was a big play. I mean they had done an exceptional job containing him up until that. I mean he had 49 yards at the half and 19 of those came on one run. So he he was being held in check pretty good and and 
that's just him, man. He gets that little seam and he's gone. I mean, he's, he's gone and, and there's no one on TCU's roster that was going to catch him, but that was a huge turning point in that game because as you mentioned it, I, I think that was the play that came after John Stevens fumble. Is that correct? Was that, was that pretty close or is that the possession? I mean, no, was that, that was the- on the, that, that was not on that possession. It was okay. not, but it, the, the, the upside was we had a great punt and we stuck them deep. Oh, and that's right. They, that's, they, when, that's when that happened. Okay. Yeah. I mean that you, you, you can't, I mean, defense played them about as good as they could all the way up until that point. And then it's just funny how one play can completely change the game. And Chuba Hubbard uh, took advantage of a gaping hole to run through and linebacker was nowhere to be found and safeties and corners couldn't catch him. I mean, Hats off to him. He he proved why he's leading the nation in rushing right now. Yeah, that was in the third quarter. Uh, 92-yard touchdown run. 92-yard touchdown run right in the middle of the third quarter. Yeah, Hubbard had uh, – you know, it's crazy. I got this stat from Brian Estridge. I'm going to share this with you. Let me tell you – let me let me see what you think of this. You know, Hubbard obviously just, you know, gashed the frogs on paper. You know, he comes out there and he runs for, what what was it here? Uh, No, he had 20 rushes and 14 of those rushes were for three yards or less. So think about that. He ran the ball 20 times, 14 times it was for three yards or less. Only three of them went for 10 yards. And if you take away his his two longest runs, he only had 18 carries for 69 yards. That's 3.8 yards a carry. So if you stuck Hubbard for 69 yards on 18 carries, you would call that a good game. But you throw in two other runs of 62 and 92, that pushes him up from 69 yards to 223 yards. So just those two plays alone ruined the game. Just those two plays alone. Without them, they they shut him down in a way that we're, we're dancing all over the message board in the podcast about shutting down what is probably the first or second best running back in the country. But those two plays alone right there, racked up the yards and got got the pokes into the end zone. That was uh that was not just a backbreaker, man. That was that paralyzed the defense. Yeah. That paralyzed the defense. Probably the most disappointing part of Chuba Hubbard being able to rush for two twenty three. They didn't have Tylen Wallace, who's one of the top two or three receivers in the Big Twelve and one of the you know, one of the top receivers in the nation. So you didn't really have that vertical threat. You weren't supposed to have that vertical threat you had to worry about, but you did. Um, but that was disappointing because you thought going into that game, no Tylen Wallace, Spencer Sanders isn't a great passer. He can make plays with his feet. He obviously made a, a lot more plays with his feet than TCU gave him credit for doing. And you you thought, man, they if they could just stop Hubbard, they they can have a chance to win that game. And they didn't. They they stopped him great in the first half, like I said. But the second half, those two runs were the difference. He becomes the first back and Gary Patterson's era as the TCU head coach to ever rush for over 200 yards. They've had over 200 rushing yard games by teams, but never has a single player rushed for over 200 yards against Gary Patterson's defense. Well, that sucks. Let's just get that on the table there. He was able to do what no one's been able to do against Patterson in in the 20 years at TCU. All right, let's go to that Dylan Stoner touchdown pass uh, reception where he goes for 57 yards. I only got part of the angle watching it on TV. You had the whole field there, Jeremy. 
was that blown coverage? Was that a defender that tripped? Was that a defender that there was a push off that they seemed to not be interested in Colin? That's not the reason we lost. What what allowed him to be standing wide open there for Sanders to be able to hit him? Because that was that felt like a prelude of more to come. You're you talking about the fifty seven yarder? Yeah, okay. fifty seven yarder yeah, Dylan. Spiller. I think him and Julius got tangled up. But the the point of the matter was is that Spencer had you had Ennis missing the blitz. On the zone blitz, he had a clean shot at him. So Spencer's just back there standing around. He has absolutely no worry in the world to have to rush that football. He had no pressure from the D-line, nothing. And he just stood back there and was able to just scan the field. And Julius and Dylan Stoner's legs, I think, got tangled. Unfortunately for Julius, he's the one that fell down. And that's how he got so wide open, Dylan was. But if you get some sort of pass rush there, if Ennis, I mean, it, Ennis just looked like he was going about 50% on that zone blitz. I, I couldn't understand it, and neither could anyone else in the press box. Everyone was talking about how he should have just killed Spencer on that play. But you, you it's those little things of inches, man. That, that's the game of football. You don't execute one little thing, and boom. Next thing you know, you're giving up a long touchdown like that. Yeah, that was really a backbreaker because it, you know, it opened the game. It it opened the scoreboard up right away, and it it felt like it just you know, man, when you start a game with something like that, it just says it it just communicates, hey, we're not quite ready on the little things. Those games of inches. All right, the one that I want to focus on because you and I agree on this, Jeremy, that this really was the moment where I felt like the frogs had a chance to blow the lead open to to you know to uh, get the momentum all on their side and put the pokes back on their heels. Frogs get the ball to start the third quarter. Max comes out. He hits um, Artavius Lynn for a five-yard gain. D- Darius Anderson, a uh, couple-yard loss. Then on that next play, it's third and eight at the 27. Max breaks one up the middle for 42 yards. It felt like that Kansas State run. It felt like if he did just beat, make one more guy miss, he was going to take it to the house. Frogs are cooking. They are down there at um, – at the Oklahoma State 31, they hit John Stevens Jr. for a 13-yard gain, and he fumbles the ball. He fumbles the ball. Now, that that fumble does not lead to a touchdown right away. It ends up uh, they trade punts, and that sets up the, the Chuba Hubbard 92-yard run off of the trading punts there. But they're driving. You feel like everything is clicking. They're down there uh, on the edge of the red zone. You have this sense that the Frogs are going to score. And then look what happens. You know, uh, the fumble, It I just felt like that crushed the spirit of the second half, and it put it put the Frogs behind the eight ball the rest of the game, and, and it created, you know, a lead of which they would never really be able to come back from. So look at that John Stevens Jr. fumble. Do, do you agree with me that that is kind of the moment where uh, they had a chance to, to change the, the fate of the game? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's the defining moment of the game. They had a lot of momentum. That Max just had a long run, and before John fumbled, he had a, a good route, good catch, got some good yards, and then boom, the fumble happens. And the way Jonathan Songs kicked this year, you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself three points down there. But the way the offense was clicking up to that point, it was like, man, it was just boom, boom, boom. They were having success. If they score right there, it, it's a lot like it was last year at the Texas game when Sean threw that interception to to Brandon Jones. They were virtually going right down the field and they score there. They go up by 10 at Texas and that, that completely changes the game. Same scenario here in Stillwater. If they go up 24, 17, you're right. It does put Oklahoma state a little bit on their heels because Spencer Sanders, 
he he didn't really throw the ball a whole lot. I mean, I think he only uh, attempted 15 passes. And that's kind of by design because he's not a great passer right now. Yeah, he he found a wide open Dylan Stoner, and he he's found him again in the end zone with with Gladney on him. But other than that, I you, you can't think of a whole lot of passes where you're just marveling over Spencer Sanders' arm. And the thing about it is, if you're putting him in a position where he's got to throw the whole time and they can't get Chuba involved, then you're putting Oklahoma State at a disadvantage. So I I think if if they score right there, especially if they score a touchdown. It's a it's it's a lot different looking game in my opinion. In in Jeff, you're right. I mean, it's not only your opinion; it's not only my opinion. I mean, you talk to anyone that covers TCU football, any fans, uh, and I don't want to put too much on John um, because it, I mean, I, I'm sure he feels hurt over it, and he didn't want to make that mistake on purpose, obviously. But it it was a big changing point in that game, and even Gary Patterson said something about it last night. Um, after the game in the in the post game presser, so it, you're right. I mean, it it is one of those plays that was a very defining moment in that game. What was Coach Patterson's demeanor like in the post game press conference? I was curious. I haven't been able to see any of the videos. Well, if you look at my snap judgments, I, I posted the video on there on that story, and he's he's kind of I don't know. He, he's not really standoffish. He's just kind of talking as a matter of fact. Um, I, I think he feels like people aren't believing him when he's saying some of these things about some players or, you know, I, I was surprised last night he called out Jordy Sandy big time. I, I, I really hadn't seen him do that. And he obviously talked about John's mistake a little bit. And, um, he, he's talked about, uh, the, uh, interceptions by Max. He said he felt like. He couldn't talk about something too much because he didn't want to get in trouble by the conference for talking about the refs. But he felt like one of those interceptions, they should have had a pass interference. Um, <laughs> someone asked him about the brush up between him and Sonny on the sidelines that the TV's caught. And he was talking more about how Max shouldn't have thrown that football. And it wasn't nothing geared, to, get, geared towards Sonny. And he was kind of mad that he, he was telling us that we're not going to we're not going to get something started, you know, a, a public feud between him and Sonny. So uh, if anyone has any questions about that, but he's, I don't know, man, after Iowa state, it was kind of like, he was just, he's fine. He's not, he's not too ticked off. I guess you could say Iowa state. He just seemed really defeated. He just seemed like a guy that was just down on his luck. Kansas state was kind of the same way. And, this this game right here, it's just kind of like he he said he doesn't believe in moral victories, but I, I think he looks at it from a perspective where they they have four turnovers, they get 450 yards, play about as bad as they could on defense, and and with all those turnovers, and you still only only lose by seven. He's not going to come up there and say, "Man, I'm so glad of how we played and everything else," but. He's a smart enough guy to know that team's real close, and it's it's got to be it, it's there's minor details that need to be fixed. Catching the football, hanging on to the football, making the right decisions, blocking for crying out loud. I mean, making the tackles. I mean, it's a lot of things that can be fixed with coaching and in preparation. It's not like they're out there getting blown out. We all look at the game. We are we're all disappointed they lost because you're coming off a big win over Texas. 
but it's not like they went up there and I think everyone looks at the stat column, all the interceptions. It's not like they got beat 45 to 17. It was a 34 27 game. And to be quite honest, they had a chance to win it late in the game. They had a, they had a, a, a point where they had forced a punt by Oklahoma state and then they didn't get anything going on offense. So it was, uh, you know, you have you have to execute when you, you're given the opportunity to execute. There are a lot of things that happened on the field that might change what happens down the down the road here. Let's look at the quarterback health situation. Feels like this is 2018 all over again. We're down to the home stretch, and we're not exactly sure who the fifth string quarterback is that can go in there. So let's let's kind of break this down one by one. Max Duggan was hurt on that final drive. He obviously hurt himself on a play, took himself out, or, or was brought out. Mike Collins came in. Mike Collins got hurt. And then Max come back in, comes back in, and then he takes himself out. Tell me, tell me what happened on that final series. I've got some stuff I'm going to share that you know I've read online or maybe some things I read on Facebook. But let's focus on Max here first. What do we know about what happened to Max and kind of the timeline of, of, of how that unfolded and what do you, what can you share with us about his, his situation? Uh, with Max, I think it's, he might've hurt something with his hand. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about it. Um, and put the cart before the horse, I guess you could say, uh, it's, it's definitely eye opening when you, when you have a kid out there and he goes out then he comes back in and he takes himself back out. So, I don't know the severity of it. Hopefully coach says something about it Monday during his coach's teleconference. I'm not sure he will because he won't want to give Baylor any uh, chance to prepare for a different quarterback, but it is something to definitely keep an eye on. Like I said, on the board today, you just prepare everyone, prepare themselves for um, a different looking quarterback unit. All right. So we got Max banged up. You could tell with a fighter like that, if he took himself out of the game, it's in bad shape. All right. I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on the record here and tell you that I think Facebook is garbage and most information that is on there is disinformation. Now I did not get this from a, uh, a bot with two followers or something like that, but word online is that Mike Collins has a lacerated kidney and he just didn't like, you know, he seems to be getting hurt over and over again had that cheap shot in Baylor last year, probably kept him from fighting for the starting job um, when he got hurt again. My goodness, uh, poor Mike Collins. But I, I know we can't confirm that online, and I don't want to be the guy passing on rumors. But if that is true, what does that say about uh, Mike playing quarterback, Mr. Jeremy? I saw the same Facebook thing you're talking about, and all I'll say is if, if it's 100% true, then – in my opinion, in my opinion, I, I would think he's gone for the year. Um, if that's a lacerated kidney, and I mean that's not something you come back from right away. Um, but like I said, I I don't I don't know how how much uh, all of that detail is true. But I have I have heard that he he had some complications last night after the game, but. Like I said earlier with Max, I don't want to speculate too much on it, but I, I will say in my in my opinion, if, if all that stuff on Facebook is true and then some of the things I heard, then I, I would not expect to see him at least uh, against Baylor. So if you're thinking about, well, if Max doesn't start, then it's going to be Mike. I don't, don't expect that. 
All right, well, that begs the question, if Max isn't going to start and Mike isn't going to start, can I make a suggestion of who should start? Do you mind? Unsolicited, pass this on to the coach. I was the quarterback of the 1995 Clark Hall flag football team, and I threw two touchdowns in one game. So I'm just going to offer myself up as as a tribute. dual threat? Oh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm dual threat. I don't want the okay. insult of dual threat because I got an arm. I've got an arm. I just am mobile. So I'm, I'm dual threat. Yeah. I'm dual threat. My, my greatest sports moment in college was I threw a touchdown pass to Vincent Pryor, who used to play defensive end for TCU. Oh, yeah. It's a long, yeah. We had a, we had a, uh, a guy that uh, had five sacks in one game playing wide out for us. He was our hall, uh, hall director, and I, I threw a fade to him. And so I got an arm, dude. That's all I got to say. That's all I gotta there say. Go. So I got an arm. So, all right. So, if it's not me, on the off chance that Coach Cumby doesn't call me, who's gonna play quarterback against the undefeated Baylor Bears that are coming to town this weekend? I mean, you got two guys left, or, or three guys. You've got Alex Delton, you've got Matthew Downing, and you've got uh, Matthew Baldwin. <laughs> I mean, it's with Justin leaving. I mean, you've. I mean, he might have had a chance to see the field this week if he's if he stays around. Um, but it, for, for now you've got to, you've got to think Alex. And if it is Alex, I, I sure as heck would hope that TC fans get behind him because I remember last year when everyone was uh, talking about how uh, TCU is about to lose at Baylor and somehow or another, Grayson Muelstein comes in and, and leads them to a victory after Mike gets hurt. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be guaranteeing if Alex plays that they're going to get beat Baylor is a tough defense, but I, I I agree with a lot of other people. I I, I want to see how Baylor and Charlie Brewer in particular plays against an, another great defense. Or I wouldn't say a great defense right now with the way the Frogs are playing, but it's for for whatever reason I I, I think that TCU is going to play Baylor a lot tougher than some people expect them to. All right, so we got to brush up on new names. There's not a lot to talk about about this next one. Justin Rogers has announced he's transferring. He's uh, you know, leaving the program, transferring on to somewhere else. I'm just going to say this. I thought the Frogs handled that as best that they could. Obviously, you honor the kid's scholarship. You give him a chance to rehab and and put in every effort to get healthy here. The, you know, that is a that is hundreds of thousands of dollars of rehab that the Frogs have put into him. And I'm grateful for their uh, their their belief in him and their investment in him. But if he feels like he needs to go somewhere else um, and, and and be able to play in a situation where he thinks he can get a shot, if it's not at TCU, I, I understand that. And it's uh, I never I never really argue with a young man making a decision that he thinks is best for himself because you only have so many years to play college football. So on behalf of the Frogcast that's followed him for years, I just want to say. God bless you, Justin, and we wish you nothing but the best. That sound about right to you, Jeremy? Oh yeah, yeah. And it college football is a business, and if he felt like he wasn't going to get to play here, then there's nothing wrong. I mean, it, obviously, when you got another guy that's if you're on the depth chart and you're down a little a little bit, and the guy that's making all the plays right now is a true freshman, and you're kind of looking at the writing on the wall, will I get a chance to ever beat him out? And you don't feel like that's going to happen, then got to make the best decision for yourself, man. And, you know, like a, like you said, Jeff, I wish him the best too. I hope he goes out there and finds a place and has a chance to put up a lot of yards. I mean, he's he's worked hard to get 
back to where he is and coming overcoming that injury that he had as a senior and hopefully he gets a chance to go out there and make a lot of plays and I'm sure he's going to have a lot of frog fans that are still going to follow him and cheer him on and do everything else but yeah we all wish him the best absolutely we wish him the best absolutely we wish him the best all right, we're about halfway through this show here. Uh, let's take a moment and thank our sponsor, Team Life, great organization in DFW that invests in junior high and high school kids. Man, I was spending some time with some 14-year-olds at church this weekend. Dude, they're all knuckleheads, and they need all the help that they can get. So when you're dealing with a world of constant uh, flow of information and text and Instagram and life and pressure and anxiety, good groups like Teen Life invest in these kids and give them an opportunity to make good decisions with their life, keep them on track in school, and perhaps more importantly, keep them on track in life. Go to teenlife.ngo and you can find a way to make a nonprofit uh, tax-deductible donation as well as volunteers. Get off the bench, go out there and help people. This is a great organization and you should go help them and invest in them. All right, one question for both of you all. Jeremy, Daniel. Daniel, let's go ahead and start with you. Everyone seems to be a hot mess right now. You read message boards, you read social media, go to Horn Frog Nation on the Facebook page. That is, uh, that is a great reminder that I believe in total depravity of humanity. But why is everybody so worked up? Why is this season that's tough so much different than other seasons that are tough? Because I feel like everybody is just you know standing on the edge. What are your thoughts about everyone's um, frustrations? I don't really know. I I. I... Last year was so bad, I had to just step away from it all. And because this, the negativity, you know, that, that's that's what I, I spend any downtime, you know, reading various message boards, you know, whatever I can find. It, the negativity got so bad, it was just pulling me down. I had to just step back. And I think I was out for months and months at a time. Um before it finally calmed down and, and I kind of put, you know, eased my way back into it. This season seemed like it was going to be great and everyone's a train wreck again. And so I am having to, you know, stay away from it again. And even though last week the win with uh, Texas really helped, it, it, it seemed to completely almost, almost entirely mitigate everything going wrong. Everyone just kind of stopped and that and stopped acting like the sky was falling. Now it's, we're right back at it again this week. And I, I don't really know what's triggered it. Everyone's calling for th- this to be fired. So-and-so to be fired, everyone else to be fired. And it's, it's just a, it's, it's unfortunately it's what college football is, is a massive ball of irrationality. And that's what makes it special, but that's what can make it awful. So, you know, I, I appreciate everyone's passion, but um, some people need to shut up. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. That's a great quote. I'll probably tweet it here in a little bit. College football is a mass- massive ball of irrationality. That's what makes it great. Oh, that is. That's what makes it great. That's why in the world we started this podcast in the first place. Jeremy, why is everybody on edge? I mean, I feel like this whole frog fan base bunch of whiny no, babies. bring it bring it no i'm just kidding i mean to be honest i mean everyone was talking about this preseason and a lot of high expectations everyone was talking about how this was going to be tc's bounce back year because you never see a gary patterson team go 
seven wins and then seven wins and four. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen very often. And with the guys they had coming back this year, you felt that, that this was going to be a, a really good year. And, and, and people talked about not only being preseason number four in the big 12, but maybe even possibly having a chance to, to play for the big 12 championship. And they were right about a lot of things and they were wrong. You know, the experts including myself are wrong about a lot of things. And, but at the same time, we're listening to, you know, what the coaches are saying, what Gary Patterson said in the preseason, what Sonny Combe, what, uh, Chad Glasgow, what Curtis Looper, all those guys that talked to us in the preseason. I mean, they had high, they had high expectations too. And to be honest, I mean, they, they're, they're four and four right now, but we could very easily be looking at a seven and one team. They are literally three points losing to one team. They lost to another team that is a top 25 team now by seven points. And they lost to another team where they never win on the road in Stillwater by seven points. So you're, you're technically your three losses are by 17 points combined. So it's not like they're just out there getting drilled. And I think that's part of the frustration um, to me, even, even coaching Wee football, it's, it's a lot harder to take the losses that are so close that it is to take the losses where you just get your brain speed in. And I think for the most part, a lot of these, the fans and, and everyone else that watches TCU football are looking at it from the perspective that they're so close and, you know, we, we want to pick on the quarterback. We want to pick on the offensive coordinator. We want to pick on the defense. We want to pick on a particular player on defense. And, and that's just, you know, fans being fans. I get the frustrations and, and trust me, you're talking to the guy that, is basically basically hate to punch in forks because he has to listen to angry employees. <laughs> That's how it is sometimes because I know so many people are frustrated or calling for people's heads and everything else. It's a balancing act for me. I try to be as nice as I can be to people, and sometimes it wears on me a little bit. Some people in particular wear me quite a bit, but I still have a thing around. I haven't banned them. I haven't, I haven't locked them out. I usually can do that. But it, again, it's, it's good for people to vent their frustrations, I guess you could say, Jeff. And if people want to vent their frustrations on my board, then, then so be it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... So be it, man. If you want to come take a leak all over my yard, go right ahead. That's basically what you're saying. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I think... I'm going to step back here. I, I think I know. I, I love, let me tell you why I'm frustrated. I, I've got multiple levels of frustration here. One is I am in constant realignment anxiety. And I know that when uh, the Big 12 contract comes up again, in about three and a half years, when all the realignment uh, uh, fault lines start to shake again, I am I am fearful beyond rationality that the frogs are going to like get kicked to the American Athletic Conference or something like that. And so I want TCU to be as in strong a position for as long as possible when it comes time to divvy up the Big 12, for the Big 12 to be in a spot of strength to, to lure a few more conferences in, a few more teams in from other conferences, from other Power 5 conferences, specifically the Pac-12. And so when I see that, 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 makes, that freaks me out on a big macro level. On a on a on a local level, on a Big Twelve level, let's just be honest. There's a lot of dang good coaches in this conference, and you just can't run around and say TCU is going to have the third best recruiting class like we have every year. So we should expect good results. Chris Kleiman can coach. Matt Rule can coach. 
you know, Matt Campbell can coach. I think Matt Wells is a pretty good coach. He should have beat Baylor. That's a good coach. So I see, and then I think Oklahoma, in spite of that loss to K-State, is separating themselves so much more from the rest of the conference. And then Texas is is bipolar in terms of all this talent and terrible coaching. But if we catch them at the time where the talent and the coaching line up, even if just for one game, they're going to beat us. So that's my frustration is that this window is getting smaller and that we are, I feel like we are taking, we are regressing during that on um, development, on big recruits that we land and uh, getting it done on the field, getting it done on the road. So losing, losing those games by one touchdown, you know, they're not moral victories, but it it, it really, it really makes me frustrated because I don't know how much longer coach Batters is going to be here. I just see a door closing. That's what makes me so nervous, and I want to see as many 10-win seasons as we can for as long as we can in the Big 12 so that we can have uh, something to watch when I'm 65 years old and not uh, flipping over to Stadium on Facebook and watch the Conference USA. That's my <laughs> that's my fan rant of, uh-huh. of my frustration. So you're, you're just kind of nervous that TG's not going to have any more 10-win seasons and they're going to be in the American Conference? I'm worried about TCU not having any 10 more se- 10 win seasons period and therefore there will come a day when we are in the American Athletic Conference. Yes, I'm 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 not I'm not ashamed to say that. I mean that we have a small fan base, we don't have a huge uh, alumni base. Uh, we have a great product, we have a great school, we're in a uh, massive market, but all that being said, you know, Tulane is a great school and it is in a great market and they're in the AAC barely. And I don't want to. I don't want to be a. Uh, I don't want to be. A, I don't want to be Tulane. I don't want to be Rice. I want to. I want to continue to be um, fighting for a Big Twelve title every year. So that's what I want. That's what I want. Now I know we played for the Big Twelve title in 2017, and I'm the one that used to remind people of that. But still, yeah, I'm frustrated about it. About what it means for the long haul. So that's my frustration. And well, I and I also feel like we. I know it's. I know it's been. But I'm also really frustrated with the offense, which we'll get to in a minute. But go ahead. I know it's frustrating for for fans, and you know, but you got to look at it. 2014, Coach Amps. Uh, 2015, they're right there in the mix. 2017, Big 12 title game. 2018 and 2019 have been pretty bad years, and for people that have been following the program since 2000, you're not you're not used to that. And I'm not going to get into the host bill. Well, hey, man, if you're around in the 80s and early 90s, they never want. I under, who cares? Okay, we all, everyone knows about that now. But I still, I still firmly believe it. TCU winning seven games last year and, and what they've won this year, I, I don't, I don't, I don't foresee anything being negative about them for realignment because there's a ton of teams out there in P5 schools that are just doormats year after year, year after year, that have nowhere the skins on the wall that TCU has as far as, uh, as a football perspective. So, Jeff, I don't want you to worry about that, my friend. I, I really want you to just enjoy the ride and know that when you're in, when you're 60 to 65 years old, you can call me and we'll be talking about TCU playing uh, Oklahoma in week seven of the Big 12. I'm gonna I'm gonna take your words of prophecy and believe them. I'm also gonna remind you that uh, TCU has more skins on the wall in football than three fourths of the teams in the Big Ten, and they're all taking in sixty five million dollars a year with no with total security. Oh, man, so, I know. 
Yep. So that's where I remind you, Rutgers and Indiana and Purdue all have, Oof. they have zero, you know, and I, the list could go on. Minnesota, Northwestern, uh, yeah, don't, don't get me started. They all have zero anxiety about the security of their conference. So that's what makes me really frustrated. That's what that's what makes me really fearful. So, uh, hey, speaking of Purdue, weren't they down to like their fourth or fifth string quarterback now? Yeah, and they weren't beat they? Nebraska. And I don't know why I love that Nebraska keeps getting beat, but I love that Nebraska keeps getting beat. Yeah, Purdue is way down the list, way down the list of quarterbacks. So I count it's that. just fun because everyone was talking about Nebraska this year and how they could sneak in possibly to the Big Ten championship and. Not happening. Not happening. What have they done since they left the Big 12? Jack squat. Jack squat. You tell them, Jeff. I you am. tell them. All right. Okay, let's uh, let's t- uh, keep moving on here. All right, let's get to some positive news. The Frogs land their second four-star defensive lineman who they flipped from the Southern – from the Southeastern Conference – Jeremy, tell us a little bit about this. You've got some backstory on this recruiting. Some of it, we were talking about being online and rumors. Some of it leaked online, and you kind of had to beat it back a little bit because it wasn't supposed to be public. Tell us about the defensive tackle the Frogs landed because this is a big one. Jaquay Sorrells, he's a, originally a 2019 prospect. He never made it to South Carolina. I think there were some issues with his academics that came up. Um, something very minor, a lot like what happened with Adam Plant. And I know there's some questions on the board because people have been traveling over to South Carolina's board and, and listening to them. And I, I'm just telling you, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have took, taken him if they didn't think he was going to be eligible, especially by December. Um, he's, he's planning on being on campus in January. Now, the next few months are going to be pretty exciting because once people find out that he's academically cleared, they're all going to come out after him. They're all going to come chasing him. And it's going to be a dogfight for TCU to hang on to him because he's he's basically uh, the the same it's same thing with with Adam Plant last year. He's going to arrive on campus. He's going to be uh, five for four, and his eligibility's not not uh, on the clock right now because he didn't attend uh, any uh, school. I think he he was just doing everything. I think he had to uh, get some tests squared away, and I, I think that's that's how minor it was. So. Basically, this was one of those uh, things that was so quiet. And as you mentioned, Jeff, I I didn't mention him coming into town that week uh, with Garrett Hayes. I didn't even give you guys a clue, didn't say anything, and I didn't plan on saying anything until one of the guys said, hey, JC, who was, I was at dinner and saw GP. Who was the other big guy besides Garrett Hayes? And all of a sudden, I'm just thinking, ah, this was the perfect opportunity for you, my friend, to send a direct message or a private message use that use that feature that we have on 24 7 that's so great for some of these private messages um but anyhow i still didn't i still didn't uh falter too much on it i didn't want to give any hints um i think the closest hint that i gave uh someone was asking about the tcu offer why he's not showing a uh if a guy's not showing a tcu offer and I said, maybe I should plant one on there. And I thought for sure someone would take that because that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And look at that and think, okay, it's someone that's like Adam Plant. 
And I will say my good friend Jeremiah got this with the clues that I provided him, but he didn't come on the board and, and share it. So props to Jeremiah for keeping that secret intact. But um, the, the the news was big. I mean, they, they were actively recruiting him. And, and you know, with, when you have a guy like Carter Johnson leaving and you can replace him with a guy that was even highly, more highly regarded than, than Carter, you're, you're doing pretty good. I've, he was ranked as a 14 defensive tackle in the country. He had offers from Bama, Clemson, Penn State. I mean, you name it. He had he had a ton of offers, and you're you're adding him with Patrick Jenkins, a guy that was committed to LSU not long ago. He's now with TCU. So, did a great job recruiting those defensive tackles. Arnell Fitch did a great job recruiting both those guys. But it was a interesting situation. It's it just proves that this world is so small because. You're trying to keep something quiet, and then one of your loyal subscribers just happened to be out and, and see. Uh, and, and I and I, I guess you can tell by looking at Garrett Hayes and Jaquay's sorrels that they don't look the same. So, I mean, there was obviously, obviously the, the, the guy on the board was saying he was a big guy, and so everyone starts guessing offensive linemen, obviously. And, but, it you know, it's great for TCU to get him because it, it's a it's a huge need because you don't know – what Ross Blacklock's thinking? Is he thinking this is his last year? Does he declare? Um, you have another guy like George Ellis that hasn't really been playing a lot. Carter Johnson's gone. Sony Missy's been playing a little bit, but not a whole lot. And, and they're still waiting on Philly. Uh, 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 I can't even say it. Philly Katonga. Philly Katonga. Oh my gosh. I've been battling a sickness for two days now. That's why my voice sounds so deep and stopped up um i drove back from stillwater last night with a pounding headache but i couldn't take anything for it because i i feared if i did i'd doze off and land somewhere in a, on i-35's uh bar hey, ditch so hey no problem I apologize for for not thinking straight tonight hey but i gotta ask anyhow look, i think it's important to learn how to pronounce every player's name i think that's important but i gotta tell you i would get fired if i was the pa guy at Euless trinity day one <laughs> because <laughs> that's where Isaiah Filikatanga is from. And, you know, if you live yes. in DFW, you know, that's one of the largest Tongan communities outside of Tongans, you know, out of, you know, it is, it is one of the largest uh, Tongan communities in all of America. And they do the scariest yeah. things before this, before kickoff. I would, I would run. I was told, I was told it's like, like, like that because it's so close to the airport. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's what a lot of people told me. I don't know. I've heard that too. I know that there's a lot of Tongans and there's a lot of Mormons, and somehow Mormonism um, is uh, something that is uh, adhered to strongly in the Tongan community. And so it's like these very disciplined Tongan men with hair that are, look like they should be playing D backs for uh, for the the Steelers, and uh, their their dance pregame just scares me to death. So. If you get 280 pound oh, yeah. men with hair flowing down their back and you're like a 17 year old uh, outside linebacker, I'd be like, mommy, <laughs> mommy. Yeah. I was fortunate enough not to ever have to play against Trinity in high school, but I did play against when I was in junior high uh, or middle school. Sorry. I played at young junior high in Arlington and we played central junior high, which I believe feeds into Trinity. And, uh, Man, I've never seen so many big kids that were 14 years old. Did you want to check the birth certificates? Did they pistol whip you? <laughs> I was an outside receiver, so I, and we were uh, a predominantly run team. So 
we didn't we didn't throw the ball too much. So I didn't have to run worry about going over the middle and getting smacked and getting thrown up in the air like a helicopter. So I was good. Oh, that's good. All right, so we we got we got derailed there, and we got a little DFW ethnic breakdown. Yeah. So, all right, Isaiah Filikatonga may be stepping in. I actually have high hopes for that young man. Uh, all right, so anything else? You, you mentioned Hayes. I want to hear some more about Hayes. As he's 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 you know big, you know big offensive lineman out of East Texas out there in Athens. The Hogs are in a mess, and I know it looks like it's a race between yeah. the Frogs and the Hogs. I don't even know if Chad Morris is going to make it to to December. Are the Frogs in good shape for him? Is there anybody else coming in from the outside? Aggies have backed off, have they not? No, I, I don't think the Aggies really backed off. I think he just never really had an interest in them. I think he, I think his mom actually went to A and M, and and I think he's just one of those kids that likes to choose his own path and never really considered A and M. I mean, A and M was never even really a factor i was kind of surprised that people were putting crystal balls in for them because they he just didn't seem to have any interest whatsoever and now a&m knowing that probably backed off and so that's probably where you've heard that a&m's backing off but i don't i don't think that garrett would have ever ended up at a&m in the first place but yeah it's it's pretty much been tcu and arkansas and, and i think the good thing for tcu yeah they're struggling this season but they're not going to fire their coach and we're going to get to offense in a minute, Jeff. So we'll talk more about Sonny Cumby, but I, I personally don't think they're going to fire Sonny Cumby and they're not going to fire Chris Thompson. So it, uh, you know, it could be a good thing for, for TCU. I mean, they, if, if uh, Arkansas continues to get drubbed every week, I mean, they're losing games by miles now. Uh, and depending on who they would bring in, I, I think TC would have a pretty good chance with Garrett. All right, let's just flip over to what you brought up then. You said Sonny Cumbie. You think he's going to be back. Um, any, coaching staff, any coaching staff changes that you foresee? And let's just dive into it. Do you think Sonny Cumbie is going to return, and has he earned the right to come back for 2020? I don't know. Um, I mean, to me, here, here's what – was funny to me last night. Now I know people are going to watch and, and they're going to see Gary screaming at Cumbie and coach K. I love you brother, because you're the one that keeps it real on the board. If you haven't seen coach P yelling at a coach, you haven't been watching TCU football. It, it is no different from the way he yells at Sonny Cumbie to how he's been yelling. I mean, if Schultz wasn't in the box all those years and he was down on the field, you would have seen the same thing with Mike Schultz and, and and Justin Fuente, and definitely with with Anderson and Burns. So, I mean, it's it. We're only seeing it now because you have the coach right next right next to Cumby, and you know there's there's a lot riding on the line. But I asked him last last night. I was asking about the offensive line. It was it was something in general. Hey, coach, did you think the offensive line played? Were you a little disappointed with how they played? I think I can't remember my exact question is was and he looked at the 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 stat sheet and he said well we gained 450 yards with four turnovers i think we did pretty good so it's it's one of those deals where if you if you look at it and they gained 450 yards does does he put the blame on sunny combi or does he put the blame on the players and to me right now they're they they just scored 37 against Texas. They scored 27 against Oklahoma State. And 
I, 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 ideally, I think that could have been enough to win the game. I, I've said all along, 35 to 40 points is what Sonny needs to keep his job for them to win games. And obviously that, that was, was less. There's games out there that you could look at that if you look at their losses, Iowa State, that was on the defense. There, there was no way TCU scoring 50 points to outdo Iowa State's 49. SMU, 38 points should have been enough to win the game. You don't allow 41 points to SMU. Yes, SMU is a good offense, but you can't you can't put 41 points and expect to get a loss because your def- I mean your your defense has got to make plays. Uh, 17 against Kansas State, I would say that was pretty much on the offense. The defense did their job by about four and a half or three and a half quarters. Um, all the way up until about the final two minutes or six minutes, whatever it was that Kansas State scored. Texas, offense did what they needed to do. and Or not Texas. What am I thinking? Who, who was the other loss? Uh, Oklahoma State. Kansas Oklahoma State. State. They, Yeah, I said Kansas yeah, State. That, Kansas that was more of the offense. Uh, in Oklahoma State, it they they get 450 yards, and I think, I think they – 450 yards should should get you a win. Um, four turnovers kills you. Uh, but I, I I don't know I don't know how Gary's going to look at that. To me, knowing the way he is, I don't I think he'll blame Sonny for a couple things, but I don't think he's going to blame him for those turnovers, especially after one of them where he was basically saying, without saying that he felt Oklahoma State got away with a penalty by pass interference. And I think when he goes back and watches the film, he's going to see some things that he locked on offense that really weren't, uh, you know, they, they had enough things to do that they should, that, that John Stevens fumble. You can't blame that on Sonny Cumbie. I mean, they, they're moving down the field. You can't, you can't blame Max throwing 50 yards past the nearest receiver on Sonny. If, you know, it's it's like I said a, a few weeks ago when when Max wasn't making greatest of decisions against SMU or or uh, sorry Kansas State when it's third and short, everyone's like, why is Sonny calling those deep plays? It's not Sonny telling Max, hey, go deep. That's Max not reading the defense good and he's throwing it deep. I mean, that's it, it's tough. I mean, how do you blame Sonny? He, as the play's developing, Sonny's not going to be able to yell at Max across the field and say, throw it short. He's not going to be able to do those things. So, uh, were there questionable play calls against Oklahoma state? Yeah, there was, there was a few. Um, I, I thought it was funny how people wanted to run the ball, but then they couldn't protect, they, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't protect Max. I mean, this, this Oklahoma state defensive line just manhandled, manhandled that offensive line. It was the worst Dude, the missed, offensive we, line has played all Niang year. What, man? We miss Niang. Well, it's not even Niang. I think – I mean, Anthony McKinney had a tough game, man. I mean, really, he's he's had a really tough few weeks. And it's 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 becoming to the point where, man, you might want to look at a different left tackle. You might want to move Austin Myers over there to see what he can do because he's he's really been struggling. And I hate to – to call the kid out, but you can go back and watch the game and, and see that he's been struggling, especially against Kansas state late in the game. And, and people see that as they're watching the game, they go on the game thread, man, McKinney's getting tore up. 
but that was against a three-man front and they couldn't really establish the run game. Um, you had Max for the third consecutive week leading the team in rushes. And if, if you can't, there was, there was a point, there was a point, uh, I think when uh, Shaywell scored the one yard touchdown and I can't remember if that was on third down or second down, but they had so much trouble when they were so close to the goal line, even moving the ball one yard and Shaywell's touchdown play even got reviewed. That, that is a one yard play. That is a one yard play. You should be able to get your offensive line and just plow through ahead. And, and Shaywell should be able to walk in there. And they really didn't have that, that game. And, and I think Chris Thompson is a phenomenal coach. He's done a lot with the offensive line. And I've been saying it a lot, a lot of times, Jeff, it, I think it's the player execution. It's they, they've got to get more physical. They've got to get stronger. And, they're not showing that right now. Someone said they look soft, and I would agree with that. They look soft out there. And do you put the guys in there that are going to be more fiscal? You don't know who they are because those are the guys that are preparing, that, that are showing the most in, in practice, just like the quarterback situation. You're not going to put someone out there. If they're not doing good enough in practice, you're not going to put them out there in a game. That's just, that's just football 101. You, you, you can't do that. You can't, oh, if he doesn't practice good, maybe he's a gamer. Hell, get out there and do your thing. And then they, they get torn up. So I don't know what the answer is um, with the offense. Obviously, you had a lot of mistakes by the true freshman. But you're asking a question I've given you given you a long answer to. And, and right now, I, I don't think he will. I don't think he will let Sonny go based off the eight games that we've seen. All right, that's breaking news right now. That's some hot sports opinion from Jeremy Clark. All right, we're going to get to rapid fire, and I want to reinforce rapid fire on some listener questions here. Are you ready, JC? Yes. Has Baldwin gotten any reps with the first, second, or third team, or is it simply scout team? No, scout team. And I know that, I only know that because I was asking when 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 Justin was. Um, the news was breaking about him and I was asking a lot of people how, you know, um, other quarterbacks and how it would affect them. And, um, I even asked about, well, wh- where was Justin at? Was it fair to say he was fourth or fifth team? And I was told by a few people, well, we, you know, they're, they're down there with the scout team. We only focus on the main three and that was Max, Alex and, and Mike. And I know Baldwin, um, he had. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was told that he had some lingering issues. I, I don't think it's serious, but I was told as recently as uh, today that he doesn't know the playbook as well as the others just because he's been working mostly with scout team. And I, I, I think based off you know where, where they were with, with him not coming back effectively because of his injury, maybe it was just a, a, a better deal for him to – go out there, practice, don't have to put too much on his shoulders and just get ready for spring and, and battle, it out, battle it out with uh, Max in the spring. But you never know. I mean, there's still four games left in the season. And depending on if Max is going to be healthy, if Mike's going to be healthy, if you're missing those two guys and you only have Alex Delton, if, if Matthew Baldwin is better than Downing, then you obviously got to give him a chance. But someone's got to be able to throw the football and we haven't seen that with Alex. I know I know Downing is more of a passing quarterback than, than he is a running quarterback, but 
you've also got to take into account that he hasn't really seen game. He played, uh, I think, in four games last year for Georgia in in blowout wins. So he's actually played in college games, if anyone didn't know that. But he does have a good arm. And and even people that were invited to go to these spring scrimmages and everything else and, and the fall scrimmages, they would message me and say, man, Downing, Downing looks pretty good. He's, he's better than what people think. And it's, it's coming from, from different fans, but even when someone, and and I'll still eat crow to this day because someone had come on the board and said, Downing was getting reps before Justin. I was like, that's, that's ridiculous. That's stupid. There's no way that that kid's getting uh, reps before Justin Rogers. And and sure enough, I did some digging and, and found out it was true. And, um, I, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and set the world on fire, but if, if Alex can't get it, can't get it done effectively, then maybe you see Matthew Downing come in there and throw the football. But I would say if, if Baldwin's hundred percent healthy, then he's, he's going to be learning that playbook really, really fast. He's, he, they're going to have it right in front of him the whole time. All right. Day. All right. I'm going to give you a list of five things. You tell me what is number one and number two in terms of our issues versus Baylor. What's going to be the biggest problem versus Baylor? Defensive end performance, quarterback performance, play calling, wide receiver consistency, or punting. What's the one and two of the quarterback and? Defensive ends. Quarterback and defensive ends. All right. Um, uh, Let's see here. A couple questions. I know there's a lot of questions on there. I saw there, a lot on the board. There's a whole bunch of them that I can't – I'm just going to tell you, there's a couple of these I can't answer, and I'm not going to make Jeremy answer, but they will uh, – Come on, uh, just ask him. I'll, I'll, I mean, put them on the, the right. table. We'll see. How did Alex Delton handle getting passed up by uh, Collins yesterday at the end of the game? Uh, I, I wouldn't think he handled it too well. I mean, he was the backup, and so you're having the guy that's third string come in, and but – you've also got a guy that's a better thrower than him. It, it wasn't a situation where he was going to be running the football. He's got to be able to throw the football. And I think it's pretty much well known that even the coaches think Mike's probably a better passer. Um, so, I mean, if he, if he was, if he was mad about it today or yesterday, he's, if, if Mike and, and Max ain't ready to go today, he's probably jumping for joy because I mean, really he's the guy now, if that, if, neither one of those two can play. Okay. Daniel, this question is for you, so be ready. What word would you put in front of the following? Blank Baylor. Uh, this is a family show. I, um, I can't say it. Rhymes with duck. All right, moving right along on this family show. Jeremy, any portals, uh, anybody in the defensive end portal that the Frogs are going to – anybody in the transfer portal at defensive end you think the Frogs will be looking at? Uh, Not off the top of my head, I don't. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This is a good one from Warfrog. I'll give him props for this. A question for whichever one of you feels is best prepared to answer this question. Why has God forsaken us? Why does God let bad things happen to good football fans? I'm going to tell you, it reminds you to uh, treasure and value the good times. Uh, There's a great quote I've been uh, praying to myself um, these last few weeks here in my office in my morning before everybody kind of piles into work. 
what is it? The, uh, the deep valleys of my pain will be exalted when I humble myself before the Lord. So everybody just go humble themselves and we will be exalted before Baylor. So um, when we beat Baylor this week, that's, that's the, I guess I'm the, I, I guess I'm kind of presumptuous there. Maybe I'm not the most prepared for this. <laughs> Maybe Daniel is most prepared for that. Um, here's one that really burns my bacon. Why do we keep uh, trying to return the ball from the two and getting stuffed at the 18 rather than fair catching it? Who is who is telling everybody to do that? I think for the most part, the coaches have told the players to fair catch it, and they just think they're going to return it for a touchdown all the time. And I mean, Gary's come out in public saying that he wishes they would fair catch it. So uh, I I don't know what's being told to them to if they feel like they can return it for past the 25 to go ahead and take it i i don't know um but i but i do know where where gary's stance is on it all right that's fair enough one of the questions on here if you were the ad for or or gp for a day is there one personnel or staffing or coaching change you would make i'm going to go ahead and make mine right now i would make pete limbo the special teams coach at uh Memphis, our special teams coach. Did you watch that Memphis SMU game last night? Was it they ran back two kicks? They they're great on punt coverage. They're great on onsides and covering onsides. He is the associate head coach and one of he's been a head coach in the MAC. He is an amazing special teams coordinator. So Pete, I met you at a booster event, and I think you ought to come to Fort Worth. So I'll just tell you that right now. I would love to have him come back. And be, uh, I would love him to, to come and be the special teams coach at TCU. I did not watch any of that game. I was traveling. You missed a heck. That was a heck of a game. That was a heck of a game. So SMU put up a fight, but man, Memphis, I got to hand it to the city I live in now, man. They they showed up for game day down on Beale Street. I mean, they just packed it out down there. And then they put about uh, 50, they they maxed out capacity at the Liberty Bowl over fifty nine thousand. It was a sellout crowd. They did their job. So if you get the game and you get game day, soak it up. And man, they did. They put on a they put on a show here. I was kind of impressed for the Memphis Tigers. And for some reason, on Sunday night, TCU fans started to get distraught around nine fifteen, listening to SMU success. Yes, that is correct. So, all right. Well, that's uh, that's the gist of all of our questions. There were some of them we didn't answer. Um, I didn't say the question, but Come we answered on, it directly or directly or indirectly. Give me some. Give me some good. I, mean, I, I want the hard hitting ones. All right. Well, you already kind of oh, okay. answered this one. What are the odds of downing? Playing? I think it's pretty high. I think it's pretty high that we'll see downing. All right. Here's a good one. I did skip this one on accident. Did, why didn't Patterson replace Sonny Dykes with another quality offensive analyst? And did he get any? Is he looking for anybody that's qualified as a defensive analyst? Are we just getting basically GAs bumped up to analysts? Or are we going out there and finding people on the market to come in and help our program? Well, the offensive analyst uh, that was a role that was given to Rusty Burns because I think he wanted to keep Rusty around on staff. Rusty's been an offensive guy for years and years, and. I think he just coach has some loyalty toward Rusty, and he's not an on the field coach. And I didn't see the the problem with that. Uh, haven't heard anything on defensive analyst. Haven't. I mean, you're talking about a guy that probably doesn't like to be told how to do things differently from what he's being told. Um, so, yeah, not much on defensive analyst front. What's Tony Savino? Is he a, is he an offensive analyst? Yes, he's he's part of the offensive group. Yes. 
Okay. Okay. Oh, here's a here's one last. Here's our last one. Rank our seasons in the Big Twelve. Where does this one currently fit? I mean, that's pretty easy. It's 2014, 2015, and then 2017. And then you could put 2013 at the bottom just in terms of record, yes. but I don't I don't look at that as the worst season because everybody knew, hey, this team's going to be pretty good next year. Do you rate this one above 2013? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. That season, you didn't okay. know they were going to be good in 14. You knew they had the talent, but you also had to make coaching changes and everything they- else. Um. I thought they'd go eight and four. Nobody thought they'd go, you know, twelve and one. Oh, uh, for fourteen. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. For four, or coming yeah, off. The I mean, that's that's yeah, yeah. That's that's the way a lot of people thought. I I think fourteen was obviously surprising to everyone because you're coming off a four and eight year, but that that year, I mean, to be quite honest, this was really, and I think this is part of the frustration. This was really the first game where you saw your freshman quarterback really really, really look like a freshman quarterback. Um, just throwing the ball up in the air and, and asking yourself, who in the heck is he throwing that ball to? And really up until this point, you were kind of like, yeah, Max throws wild, but he's going to get better. He's going to he's gonna be fine. And I still think people are, are, are looking at it that way. But uh, if this if this season goes and, and finishes 4-8, and eight, then it would probably be – pretty dang close. I, I still think 2013 is the worst team they've ever had in conference, but it w- was also a, a game where, or not a game, a season where it was like this. And I asked Coach P this on Saturday too. I said, is is this season a lot like 2013 where you play these games so close? And he said, I don't want to jinx us like that, but it, you know, he did say that it does, that the games are close like it is. So, uh, 2013 is the worst for me by far. All right, 2013. All right, well, we're going to bring this show to a close. I want to thank everybody that listens to Frogcast each and every week. I know when the season's not going as well, we don't quite get as many listeners, but our numbers have stayed strong. Thank you for sticking with us. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes and subscribe and give us a rating. It's a good way to let Frog fans know about a place where they can talk about the Frogs. Also, if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com, join our online community. It's a great way for you to know what's going on inside the program and interact and get some banter with some, we got a lot of experts on the show, I mean, on the board. I'll just tell you that right now. Everybody's got a source, and this is a fun time of the year, because when things are going well, everybody wants to be there, and when things are going poorly, everybody wants to come and complain. You're going to want to find some camaraderie with other frog fans at hornfrogblitz.com. So until next week, when we come back and report A big win over the Baylor Bears. For Jeremy and for Daniel, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.